Um, we have a really cool and exciting thing that we're doing this evening. We've got a guest speaker. He is a guy that we've heard a few times in here before. Um, uh, Josh is, he's one of the overseers. What that means here is he's one of the guys who kind of watches out for this ministry and really in particular watches out for me. So he's one of the people that me as a pastor, I'm accountable to. He's spoken into my life many times and I just think he has a really cool and beautiful uh, point of view, the way that he sees the world. Even as he and I, we were talking this past week about the thing that he's talking about, which is liminal time. It's just, I just think that that it's such, a, it's such an important thing that he's going to talk about and something that really impacted me. I think it has a lot to do with where I'm at personally as a person and uh, where the church, not just not this church, but capital C, big church, um, is. I think it's a really um, profound and powerful idea. I'm really excited uh, to hear what he has to share with us. So please, outrageous applause as we welcome Josh Perez to come and speak to us. Oh, man, oh, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it, man. Whew, we made it. Sunday evening. Um, here we go. Let's see if I can get settled in here with all my stuff. My Bible is falling apart, um, but we made it. I think, I don't know, I think there's a saying out there that's like a person's Bible who's falling apart is like a sign of a person who's not falling apart. But I think I read it on pictures or something. But just so you guys know, that is not the case with me. My life is a mess. It is wild. I am falling apart. Um, someone already mentioned... Like, oh, Josh, you got new shoes. Um, these are not new shoes. I, I have, like, my daily drivers, black vans. They disappeared last Monday. I don't know where they went. I was at work. They literally vanished in a household. So my life is kind of a mess, but it's okay. Um, but here we are. So I'm um, not here to talk about how wild this week is, more maybe how wild life is in general. And we're going to talk about two things tonight, and one of those things is John twelve twenty five. So If you guys have your Bibles, feel free to turn to that. And the other is this concept that David uh, mentioned is liminal space. And my friend Noah, who's here, uh, called me a few weeks ago, and he asked me if I knew what liminal space is. And I didn't. I'd never heard of the term before. I I was unaware of its existence. But uh, he said that he he thought I might have been in a liminal space and that the who I work for Albuquerque uh, or Young Life Albuquerque Young Life might be in this time of liminal space. So we've been dialoguing about it for these past few weeks. So um, I have a slide to somewhat explain a little bit. It's it's this concept that okay, the word liminal comes from the Latin word uh, lamen, meaning threshold, the beginning or entering of something new, the time between the what was and the next. It is a place of transition, waiting, and knowing. Um, the liminality was first coined by this guy. I have a picture. Um, It's just because it's fun. Um, The Arnold Van Gennep mustache game on point. Uh, So this is Arnold. He uh, first coined it. He did a lot of work on uh, rites of passage, and he had worked on it. But then this other guy, Victor, uh, he continued on mustache game week, not on point. Uh, But he continued the work and continued uh, working on this this word liminal space or this idea of liminal um, space. But now you can, you can Google it and find a lot of people commenting on it, a lot of blogs, a lot of people have been working through that. So, but yeah, like David was saying, I think, I think this is very important. Um, one, because I, I think I am in this space of, of liminal space between what was and what's next. And it can be a place of 
transformation. It can be uh, you know, a time of waiting, so it can be a lot very uh, anxious. But I also believe that there are people in this room, just through conversation, that also might be in this liminal space. Like David was saying when I mentioned him, he's like, dude, like, oh my gosh, I think I'm in that space in the church. And so I do think this is really important, so I, I hope um, that it does speak. But that being said, let's jump into it. So we're going to read John 12, 25. Um, we are going to read the message version, so we'll have that on there um, on the screen for you guys. So listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in love, you'll have it forever, real, and eternal. Um, we, can we pray? Will you pray with me real quick? Um, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, today. I pray that you speak tonight through your word. Um, teach us something new. Give us a new perspective on life and, and where we're at in life, these new chapters. If we're entering a new one or exiting um, an old one, Lord, I pray that you, you show us something new. Teach us something about ourselves. Um, and yeah, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your compassion. Amen. Um, okay, so a grain of wheat must die to itself um, before it can become something new to give new life. And, and it also says that in the, in the message version that, yeah, like if we hold on to life, right? If we hold on to life um, as it is, or maybe sometimes as what we expect it should be, that it destroys that life. Um, but if we let it go in reckless love, we can find real life or eternal life. And I think we often find ourselves in this space where we're shifting in identities. We're shifting, like the seed shifting from it's dying as a seed and becoming something new, but there's that space between where it's, it's not quite, quite yet sprouted and it's not quite a plant yet, but it's no longer a seed. And that identity shift can be it can be scary. I mean, it's like, who am I? And I think we often find ourselves in, this, in these, spa- these spaces in our own lives. Um, some, sometimes it's um, relationships. I've, I'm in a time in my life where a lot of my friends are getting either married or having babies. And so it's, they're shifting from being husband and wife to being mom and dad. And that is new to them or that's foreign. And they're entering something that's unknown and they're leaving what is familiar. Or when you're getting engaged, you're... I don't, I don't know personally, but I'm assuming just through conversation with other people who are engaged, that they're, they're no longer like single, but they're promised to be married, but they're not quite married. So they're in this space of who, who am I? Like what, I'm not quite one with this person or, you know, or I'm not, but I'm not single either. So it's this space of ambiguity. ambiguity. Um, we are transitioning between something familiar and the unknown. And I really hope I really hope we can see ourselves that you can see yourself in this story because I believe that it is inevitable that we will um, enter these spaces of liminal space throughout our lives uh, often. And so these these spaces can be eerie and sometimes feel very uncomfortable. And like I said, it can be a time of uh, anxiousness. Uh, some physical examples of liminal space that I found are like. Uh, playgrounds at night. Uh, they're eerie if you're there for too long. I think it's actually illegal to be at a playground at night. But during the day, right, they're a playground. Kids are playing. It's fun and it's exciting. But at night, like, what is it? Like, 
it's just there, and it's and if you're there for too long, it starts to feel uncomfortable. Or um, parking lots, um, stairwells, um, schools during the summer, unless it's summer school, I guess. But um, one of the one of the the spaces too is a common one that I think we might have all been in is a waiting room, like in a doctor's office or a hospital. We just found ourselves. Uh, in a waiting room last week. Got a call from my roommate late at night. He's like, dude, I, I busted my eye open and I got some super glue. Yeah, I'm coming home. You're gonna super glue me up. And I was pretty stoked about it until it was like, like I don't, I don't have a, like a weak stomach and it's like the inside flesh and it was flapping and I wasn't about it. I was like, dude, no, no, no. You need stitches, man. We need to go to the ER. So Noah and myself and Jacob, we went to the ER. And if you want to be in a weird, uncomfortable space, go to the ER on St. Patrick's night. Um, it's, it was very interesting. But, but we, so we're there, but like Jacob, he had to enter this space. You have to go to the waiting room in order to get what's next. And we weren't really sure, because in my opinion, I thought he needed stitches. Noah thought super glue was a good idea. I asked four professionals there, and three out of the four said stitches were a good idea. So I'm pretty confident in my decision of the, the stitches. But you can't, you can't get to what's next. He couldn't find that healing, or we could have got there, and he went through the, the back doors, and they ended up telling him, like, you know, uh, you actually don't need stitches, or you're fine, or you do get stitches, but you wouldn't find that out unless you go through this space and you transition through the waiting room. Um, so yeah, so the space between of what is and what, or what was and what's next. Um, and I'm 92% sure that most of us have been asked that question, what, what's next in our lives as we go from chapter to chapter, whether we're transitioning into a new job or out of an old job, into a new relationship or out of a new relationship. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more chapters in our life that we're transitioning and people are like wondering like, hey, what are you doing now? That's great, but what's next? What's an, or we ask ourselves that question. For me, when I got asked this question the most or when I asked myself this question the most was, was during college because that's, that's what people do. They're like, oh, sweet, you're going to college. What's your degree? What's next? What's your plan? Um, since I was a kid, that's what people would talk to me about. Like, you work hard, you get good grades, you can apply to a good college, you get accepted, and then you work hard again, you get good grades, and then you can go get a good job and make a good amount of money. Um, and so when I was in college, like, and I, I enjoyed college, uh, the social part of it. It was really cool, like being with people and friends and the freedom. I didn't appreciate the, how much freedom you have in, in school when you're in school um, until afterwards. And then, you know, then you don't have as much freedom anymore. But the, at the time, it was really cool. You can just do whatever. Um, and so, but the school part, I wasn't really about. So for the longest time, I was like, I want to graduate. I want to be done with school until that last semester, that last semester leading up to graduation. That's when it hit me like, uh, this unknown, like I had been in school for about 18 years of my life. Like it was one of the most consistent parts of my identity. Um, it wasn't the main one and it was kind of just in the background. Uh, but it, it was one of the most consistent ones. Uh, I was a student, and now that was about to be gone. And now I wasn't going to be a student anymore, and now I'm shifting into this unknown where you're supposed to go be a su- successful adult and get a good job and do all that. But uh, because I, I normally like to go against the grain in most of my life, um, I got a degree in a you can do almost nothing with unless you continue school, and I didn't do that. And so... People are saying, hey, what's next? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I had no idea. And I didn't want any part of like being a, 
an adult or a conventional, like getting conventional job and being a, an adult in that sense. So my last semester of college, I started substitute teaching and my friend was saying, hey dude, great idea, let's start a film business production company. And so I said, sweet, that sounds a lot more fun than getting a nine to five job or doing some, something else that I don't really enjoy or continuing going to school. So after I graduated, that, that's what I did. And I entered this, this space of, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm no longer a student. And when you're in college, I was a poor college student, which I think is a normal phrase. And I think most people would say it's socially acceptable to be a poor college student. But I was really terrified because I was about to transition into just being a poor person. And I just don't know if that's as socially acceptable. And so it was scary. Like it was, it was unknown. And there was a lot of fear in it. And a lot of times, too, I think in this space, we experience shame and shame starts to come out of that because when I would sub, teachers would be like, oh, cool, like, look, a young educator, like, you want to be a teacher? And I'm like, no. And they were like, well, why are you subbing? Like, didn't you get a degree in education? I'm like, no, I didn't. And um, you only need 60 college credits to be a substitute teacher in anything. Um, and so they would ask me, well, like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why are you subbing? Like, what's, what's the point? Because you can't, you don't really like move up the ranks in substitute teaching. Like, you can be like a favorite and the secretary will call you and you can get those jobs, but there's not really like progression or job promotions within the, the field of substitute teaching. And so people were really, conf- really confused. And so the shame, it was a little embarrassing to say like, this is what I did. Uh, but that's when I would lean on the filmmaking thing when I'd be like, oh, but I'm starting a business and it's a film production company and I'm substitute teaching to kind of make ends meet. And then people would be like, oh, that's really cool. Like a young entrepreneur, business owner person and little, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing and it just took a couple hours downtown and 35 bucks to get my like business title on this, on this page. And we, if you own a business or start a business, it's way more than that. We just were young and didn't know what we were doing, but it sounded cool and it was adventurous and we were these filmmakers. And, and so that was exciting, but there was a lot, there still was the shame of, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know who I am because I'm not really making any money in the film business and I'm scraping by, I'm doing all right, but um, there is this a lot of shame. And I think that we, we do experience liminal space often in this world. And I think this week, in, in fact, this Friday, right, is Good Friday, um, the, where we, the death of Jesus. And then Sunday is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. But that Saturday, I think, is liminal space. My friend Dylan, and we had this conversation once where we were like, That's, that, what was going on in the day between where Jesus died, and then when he rose again. What was that Saturday like? Um, he, he said it must have been like one of the longest days. So long Saturday, Good Friday, long Saturday, and then you have Easter Sunday. And so, but it's really easy when you're reading the Bible that it's really easy to just transition from you're reading his death, and then next thing you know, you're reading about the resurrection. Like you, you, you switch from, being with Jesus to being with Jesus after he rose. And so it kind of glances over this, this space. And I believe that that is this liminal space. Um, the disciples, before Jesus' death, they were living with him for three years, right? Like they lived in community with him. Their identity was in being followers of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. They did everything with Jesus. And so 
when he died, I wonder what that felt like. I wonder if their whole world collapsed because now all of a sudden their identity is shifting. What was, was they were disciples of Jesus, but what's next? They had no, I don't know. Even though Jesus told them, but like they still were like, they were like, I don't know what's next. And so, and we see some of them, they just went back to what they were doing. Uh, When Jesus first met Peter, he was fishing and Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you're no longer gonna be a fisher of fish, you're gonna be a fisherman uh, of men. And so, follow me. And so he dropped his net and he followed him. But then in John 21, we see after, after Jesus rise, uh, I mean, after Jesus dies, that Peter just goes back to fishing and he decides that that's what he's going to do. He's going to go back to what he knew. Maybe it's because he was secure in that, like he was secure in what he was doing, or maybe he was holding on to a part of life that he never really gave up. Because at one point, Jesus told Peter that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. But, and Peter was like, oh yeah, he had this idea of what it meant to follow Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 I love you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, yes, you're gonna deny me three times. But in Peter's mind, he was holding on to this idea that like, no, 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 no. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm following you and I'm not gonna deny you. But then he did, and not once, but three times. And maybe he was holding on he hadn't let go of his old life. He hadn't let go of this life that he knew as a fisherman. So here he is fishing, um, and then Jesus appears, and he point, someone points out, hey, look, that's Jesus, and he jumps into the, the, the lake and swims to Jesus. Peter is transitioning out of this liminal space, or at least this is what I believe. Like he's transitioning out of what was into what's next. He gets out, he gets out of, the, uh, out of the lake and Jesus looks at him and he, he asks him three times, do you love me? He says, yes, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes. And all of a sudden now, now Peter is transitioning into the, what's next and for him was to be the rock on which Jesus would build his church. He's transitioning, he's, he's leaving and letting go of this old life of being a fisherman and now he can move in and transition into this new identity of being the rock on which Jesus would build his church. Um, And I believe that God is always making new things and he's making us new. He's making Peter new. Um, In in this situation, he's he's transitioning his identity, like the seed changing to a new plant. You gotta let let life uh, go because if you hold on to it, it destroys itself. Um, So this, this brings the question like, then how do we engage with liminal space? How What's something that's like a practical way we can engage uh, when we do enter liminal space? And one way I think is in honesty and humility. Honesty and humility. Um, I would say I'm a I'm a honest person. I'm a pretty honest person. I've always I think I've always been an honest person. And I guess what I mean by that is. I probably lie just the average amount as the other average human does, and I lie about the things that is somewhat okay to lie about, like, you know, hey, did you wash your hands before dinner, or did you brush your teeth before going to bed? Like, yes. Did you really? I don't know. But, or um, when you get pulled over, and they're like, license and registration, do you know how fast you're going? It's like, ah, 42? It's like 40 minutes, 40 miles hour speed limit, but you know you're you're going over. But um, or when you first move out, and you're becoming an adult. Your parents ask you, "How are you doing? You eating okay?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, totally." You know, like kings. 
You're like eating coffee for breakfast and skipping lunch and eating ramen for dinner. But you, tell, you don't tell your mom that. We tell, I told my mom, my mom's right here, I told my mom that we were eating seafood dinner, seafood pasta, right? And you're, she's probably thinking like angel hair and shrimp and Alfredo sauce. But really, my, my roommate Zach was making frozen tilapia on great value spaghetti and a can of Hunt's. It's not seafood pasta that you think. I don't recommend it. But, but you don't, you know, so that's what I mean about like, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I think I'm a pretty honest person. And so when, at the time, I was living with a few dudes, and Noah came to me and said, hey, dude, I have this crazy idea. Let's challenge our household to 48 hours of honesty. And what we would engage with was for the next 40 hours that we would be completely honest with anyone and everyone we interacted with. And I was like, I'm a pretty honest person. Like, that, that doesn't sound like a challenge. And so it was fun at first. And so, like I said, we lived with a few dudes. So we, it was fun for like the first couple hours because then we start asking about the, just the different things that's going on. And then we found out like who was watching like the weird documentaries and the weird TV shows on the continue watching section of Netflix. And so it was this, this, this period of time where we were like super vulnerable and like feeling like very naked, but like, at the same time, it was like really freeing. Like it was really cool. It's like, shoot, I gotta be honest. Like, let's just talk about it. And one of the things that I learned was I'm not very dishonest as much with other people as much as I was lying to myself. Um, I I realized that like that I how do I say this? Where where I fall short and where I don't have it all together, that I would pretend that I did and I would tell other people and I would mislead on this image of who I was because I, I thought that that's what I needed to do. Like, I was lying to myself. Like, I don't know, has someone ever asked you, how are you doing? And your response is, good, how are you? You just flip it back on them. I probably did that tonight at some point. And we, we do this often, but when you're like in the constraints of 48 hours of honesty, someone says, how are you doing? You can't just say, good, how are you? Like, you really look at yourself, how am I actually doing? Where am I actually falling short? Am I good? Um, do I have it all together? And uh, in this space, I think it's important that, that we, we, we enter with humility and honesty and to admit that we, we don't have it all together and behind our smile that sometimes there is this brokenness and confusion. Um, and it's, but that's a difficult thing. It's hard to let your guard down amongst your friends and amongst your family and amongst your community. It's a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, I think that for me, I've been following Jesus for about, 13 years now, and I think that because I follow Jesus, I have to have it all together. And because I know Jesus, I have to be happy all the time. Um, I'm, a, I'm a leader in the community. I work for an organization that shares Jesus with adolescents. Um, sometimes David is crazy and lets me speak at Outlet. And, and I feel like because I do these things and because people see me in this light that I have to have it all together and I have to have the right answers. But when I'm honest with myself, I'm not, and I'm not good all the time, and I don't have it all together, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's next, but that's okay. And I think when we enter the liminal space to be completely honest and vulnerable with yourself, um, you get to start to see this new person that God is creating you to be. Like you, you feel like you're unraveling. You feel like you're falling apart, that your life is just a mess, but you have this opportunity to be vulnerable and have authentic life with, with yourself and also to allow Jesus to come into your life and, and show you who it is that you are being created to be, to be progressing towards wholeness. Um, when, when I was 
subbing and doing the whole film business, I was meeting with this guy. His name is Bill Money. We call him Obi-Wan Bill Money because he's kind of like a Jedi of the faith. He's a really smart dude. Um, and he's uh, been a mentor of mine for many, many years. He he was walking me through this, this transition out of college of, hey, what are you doing with your life? How are you doing this? You need a three-year plan. You need a five-year plan. You need a 10-year plan. You need a vision for your life. You need a life mission statement. So we're dialoguing about this for like months. And I remember meeting with him one morning, um, good old Crackle Barrel, and he looked across. He's like, Josh, like, I figured it out. Um, you don't believe in Jesus. And this was like three years ago. So like, I've been following Jesus for almost 10 years, and I'm like, and he said it as if it was like a check engine light. Like, oh, dude, change your oil. Like, figure it out. Simple fix. But, you know, I'm sitting there across from me. He's like, Josh, it's simple. You just don't believe in Jesus. And I'm like, that's kind of offensive. Like, that's kind of a key part of people calling themselves Christians is this belief in Jesus. And so I left and I went home kind of confused and thinking that was like really rude. But then it just hit me. Like, I was like, oh, man, like, I don't. And what I mean by that is, is that I've, I've heard that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, to give us abundant life. I, I, I knew the scriptures that say that if you believe in Jesus, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I knew that, but I was holding on to something so tightly with a white knuckle grip that I was unwilling to let go, that I wasn't really believing that to be true. So I wasn't really allowing that to really inform my life and inform what I was doing. And, and so I just remember sitting there like, what, how, does this, how does this work? Like, how, does this, how can I believe in Jesus but not believe him at the same time? And there's a story in Mark chapter nine, which we'll read, um, where a, a father whose son was possessed and he brought him to Jesus seeking for help. Um, we'll pick up in verse 21. And... I think we have it up on the, the slides there for you, if you could follow along. Uh, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The the father engages with Jesus with such honesty and such humility. Jesus asks, how long has this been going on? And the father says, since since childhood. And so it sounds like it's been going on a long time. And I'm not a parent, but I hear one of the hardest things to do is to see your, your child in pain to see your child hurting and not being able to do anything about it. And, and this father, I don't know what he did before, if he, what he was doing to try to help him, but he got to a point where he, he, he goes before Jesus says, I need your help. I can't do this. I can't help my own kid. I need you, have pity on us, help us. And to have such honesty to tell Jesus to his face, like, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That even in faith, even in following Jesus, even in believing in Jesus, there's, there's, there's parts where we, don't, we have unbelief. And so there I was sitting at my house after meeting with Bill Money, which I was so thankful for that he pointed this out because then I realized I started crying out 
to, to God praying my own prayer of like, God, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief and entering this, this season of life with honesty and humility of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have it figured out. I'm holding tightly to something that I think that my life should look like with filmmaking because that sounds cool and that, that's an image of my life and what I think it should look like. And so I'm starting to finally just let go and praying to God, help me overcome my unbelief. Um, I started to experience new life in this whole life, this internal life that Jesus promises. Um, and it took away filmmaking as a way of making a living. And that was really hard because if you know me, I really love movies. I really love filmmaking. And it was uh, so it was a fun, it's a passion of mine. It was a lot of fun, but it was taken away and I didn't really know what I was going to do. And it felt like my life was being somewhat destroyed, that something was being stripped or something was being taken away. But in this liminal space, it can feel like that. It can feel like you're being shaken and unraveled and your life is being destroyed and your world is being rocked. But I don't think it's so much as destroying or taking stuff away as much as it is, it's, it's being made new. That, that Jesus is not trying to make our life better or to extend what, have an extension of what our life already is, that it's completely new. Um, and if, if, if we don't let go of what it is, if the seed never dies to its identity as being a seed, it will never be anything else. It'll just be a seed. And so in the same sense, like God is trying to make us new and he's trying to make me new. And when you're finally letting go, I have starting to experience that. And, and so while in this whole chapter of, of filmmaking and not knowing what I was doing and in this liminal space, um, I was always involved with this organization called Young Life. I, I met the Lord through Young Life, and it's, I've always been involved in some capacity. But in my mind, when I was in college, I had an idea of what Young Life's role would be in my life. And so I kept it at a distance near the end of my college years. And then the two years of wandering and trying to figure out, trying to be a successful adult, um, I kept it at a distance and I said, no, 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 this is where Young Life belongs in my life. And so I didn't allow that to be a part of my identity. I didn't let that, even though it was so funny, I was at everything. I was at the camps, I was at the meetings, I was doing leadership stuff. But then when people would ask, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a leader. No, 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 I'm not on staff. I'm not doing all of that. But then finally, uh, when I, I finally allowed that to be, like, let's let go and said, whatever, whatever you want. I, I came on full-time staff, which was really funny. I think everyone knew that's where I should be, like, because I told people, like, it was a big surprise, like, oh my gosh, guys, like, this is crazy. I'm not filmmaking anymore, which was sad. I'm not subbing anymore, which was happy. Um, and they would be, say, like, oh, like, it's about time, or wait, weren't you already on staff? Like, it wasn't a big surprise then, but for me, just because I was blinded, because I had an image, and I was holding on to an idea of what it meant to me in my life. But Two years into this, I'm realizing it's not, it was not about what I was doing. Like, Young Life, it's a good thing. Like, it's introducing Jesus to kids who don't know Jesus, and that's a good thing, and I'm glad that people are out there doing it, but I'm realizing that it's more about what God's doing in me that he, he's, he wasn't able to do in filmmaking that he was able to do in this job. He was able to shape me in a way in this job to make me believe that I am worthy and that I am I, am, I'm, I have value. I, I, I remember before um, getting the job that I, I asked Jesus, like, what do you want me to do? And he said, Josh, be, be a leader of leaders. 
Um, be someone who unites. And I said, okay, I don't know what that looks like. And in these past few years, I've learned what it means to be kingdom-minded. Um, I learned that maybe I can be a leader of leaders and that I, I do have something to offer. I do have value as much as I don't believe that in myself. And God was able to use this, this the, what I was doing to just show me who I am as I, as I let go of my own ideas of what my life should look like. And so I believe liminal space uh, helps us move towards being who we were created to be. And I don't know if I'll be on Young Life staff for the rest of my life or not, or filmmaking will ever be a part of my vocation or how I make a living or not, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point is always the liminal space helps us move towards being who we were created to be um, and allowing our being to inform what we do so we can join God in what he's doing, what he's already doing on this earth. And that's bringing kingdom and bringing newness to our lives, to this world. Um, And that is what we're doing. Um, And he shows us how we can take part in that when he shows us who who we are and our our being. So uh, I'll close with this and uh, this in, in the same way, anyone who holds life just as it is, it, des- it destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Um, I, I'll encourage and ask like, to think, for you guys to think about where you guys are at in life. Is this liminal space something that you are in or you've experienced? And if you are in that space, to think about what, what, are, what are we holding on to? What are you holding on to with that white knuckle grip that if we don't let go, it's just going to destroy that life? Um, is it the past? Is it the present? Is it fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what's next? Um, is it a job or not a job? Is it a relationship or not a relationship? That's that's. That's a difficult thing. Like, I know for me at least, like, I've gotten so comfortable with being single for so long. Like, the idea of even changing my identity out of singleness is a fearful thing. Like, it's, it's, it's scary. And, and I think when we finally let go of, of those things that, that we're so afraid of and we have these ideas of what that looks like in our own life, that we destroy any hopes of new life in anything moving forward. Um, and... You know, and I also encourage you guys, like, if you engage in this liminal space, like, be honest and be and do it in humility with yourself to admit that you don't know what's going on, to admit that maybe I don't have it all figured out, and that I, like, if you're someone who likes perfection and order, um, you like to plan your life, like, it's okay. It's okay not to have any of that. It's okay to not have it figured out. Or if you're someone who's always ready for the next thing, you're always excited about what's coming next. Like, this is fun, but next is that is what I'm, don't, don't miss it. Don't overlook, don't overlook this, this liminal space. Or if you appreciate authenticity, um, this is the most authentic space that you can find yourself in. Um, and engage in it. Like, I think some of the best conversations I've ever had is when I'm at a restaurant for a couple hours and then we go outside into the parking lot and then we, we just talked for two hours, but now we're talking for three hours in a parking lot where it feels weird because we're like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we talking in the middle of the parking lot? It's 11 o'clock now, but they're some of the most formative 
conversations. Or I remember in high school, like we'd go to par- parking, uh, not parking lots, uh, playgrounds late at night, smoke prime time. Sorry, mother. Um, but they were some of the most formative conversations in that the in these spaces that are so weird and uncomfortable and eerie. And but when we we allow that space to to reveal and to to be honest and be humble in it. Oh man, like there's there's genuine newness, there's wholeness to be found as we we move forward to um, being who we're supposed to be and finding our being in Christ. Uh, I love the way that Richard Rohr puts it. Richard Rohr is an author, theologian, uh, Franciscan priest. He actually lives here in Albuquerque. He founded the Center of Action and Contemplation. Uh, he wrote a book on the Enneagram, uh, which I've came to be mildly obsessed with. It's like a typology, but like every other good hipster, trendy Christian, right? The, the Enneagram. Uh, but I'm a type four. If there's any Enneagrammers out there, we want to chat afterwards. But anyways, um, he puts it this way. He says, where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown, there alone is our world left behind while we are not yet sure of the new existence. There's a good space where genuine newness can begin. Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. There, this is, a, is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start to idealizing normalcy. The threshold is God's waiting room. Here we are taught openness and patience as we come to expect an appointment with the divine doctor. Richard Rohr. Um, I shared this at the end because he says it best, and we could have probably just said that and be done with the whole entire night. But um, get there often, the threshold to God's waiting room, genuine newness. Um, I think that's is so great. It's so beautiful. Um, so if you would allow, I would just like to end in a prayer um, and we'll close our night. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this space. I pray um, over everyone in this room. I pray in my own life that you continue to keep revealing, um, revealing who we are, uh, who you've created us to be as you move us towards wholeness, as you engage in this world in bringing kingdom, um, that we can become people who are in tune with you and they'll allow you to to change us, to mold us into the person that you want us to be by letting go of the things that we think are best for ourselves, by letting go of, that, of, the, of the life that we're holding as it is or as we think it should be um, as we continue to move towards wholeness and that we to join you in bringing kingdom. And I thank you that we get to be a part of that. Um, I, I pray that we can be people that look around us and be cognizant of the, the chapters in life and that we engage in those liminal spaces and engage with others too who are in those spaces. I'm thankful for people like Bill Money and my friends who engage with me in conversation and help me process those liminal spaces. So I pray we can be a community that does that together as um, you continue to make things new in our life and on this earth, Lord. Thank you again for your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Um, Yeah, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.